to your shelf or mine i'm becky standall youth services librarian at the longview public library i'm austin brigden administrative assistant at the longview public library welcome back to the podcast thank you it's been a, a while since we recorded and um we've been pretty busy here at the library mm-hmm. we're gonna tell you all about it yes so today when we're recording this is Friday, August 6th, 2021, mm-hmm. and um, the big thing that's happening at the library right now is that we have recently hired three new part-time staff and are in the process of onboarding them and training them um, so we can open up more hours again. Yeah, say goodbye to the two-hour closure in the middle of the day. That's going away starting Monday, August 16th. So our new staff members are Joanne, James, and Jenny, too. Um, so we'll have two two Jennies. Jenny with an One I. with an I, one with a Y. Yeah. Jenny D and Jenny M. So be sure if you see them working the desks, welcome them. We're very excited to have them. Mm-hmm. I think we've, we've got a good bunch here. Yeah, I'm really excited. The other thing that's happening is that we are winding down our summer reading program. Um, that ends Saturday, August 14th. And um, once that's the last day to log your reading, so make sure that you log your reading. Um, we will be pulling, uh, doing the drawing for the grand prizes the following week and contacting the people who win those. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. It's been a fun summer. We've had a mm-hmm. pretty good engagement in the summer program this year. We've had um, not quite 600 people sign up, I don't think, mm-hmm. but um, near there, um, and that's people of all ages, and I think the last I checked, we had logged nearly 7,000 days of reading, so if you just log a few more days, we can really hit that, that mm-hmm. milestone. Yeah, yeah. Have you been logging your reading, Austin? Of course. <laughs> Um, that sounded like a no to me. So you need to make sure to go and be second like okay, you're reading. Okay. Yeah. I want to get that. I want to get that water bottle. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's happening. Um, and then my understanding is after, after summer reading winds down, um, there's going to be a little bit of a break for programs, right? That's, yes, that's true. Um, we're going to try to do the podcast more regularly mm-hmm. going to the end of summer and fall, but we'll be taking a break from story times, book clubs and craft programs for a while and really focusing our attention onto the library collections. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this, uh, plan to do a lot of rearranging of the mm-hmm. collections, mm-hmm. um, and making things like a little bit more, Browsable, Browse, intuitive, yeah. mm-hmm. um, just nicer, mm-hmm. more user friendly for y'all. I think I think you're gonna like it. There's a lot to look forward to. Yeah, I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. So we've got that lot to look forward to. Um, we will not be having a C Library talk this month, but we will be having probably one or two next month, September, and then may one in October as well. We haven't got a date yet, but um, the September speaker is going to be Robert Michael Pyle, who you you might know, um, local author of of some renown, and also a lepidopterist. Lepidopterist? I don't know. A butterfly man. He's a butterfly man, and uh, he is going to come and talk to us about the butterflies of the Cowlitz, Columbia region. Um, And personally, I've always wanted to actually know the butterflies around here more. I'm more of a plant person, but uh, I'm excited. Yeah, that's going to be really cool. Speaking of butterflies, so Austin and I, we recently took a vacation into the Rocky Mountains and beyond, kind Mm -hmm. of a little, and we were out in the sheep, no, 
Bighorn mm-hmm. mountain range, and there was a lot of butterflies out there. Yeah. I try to take, like, lots of pictures of them, but they can be a little elusive, um, and I'm not, you know, I just have my phone to take pictures but there was like one that was blue mm-hmm. there was one that was kind of like a yellowy green really beautiful so i'm interested in butterflies too yeah yeah i'm really excited because you know butterflies it's a lot like the native plants when you start to to know things and have a name for them you start to really see things differently so i think it'll be cool but i guess that sort of segues us into our topic for today um our our whirlwind journey that we went on was was christened the the great western tour and even though it is east of where we are which is funny right we're west of the west as as the essayist charles d'ambrosio says we're west of the west um when when somebody like wallace stegner or or william kittredge when they're talking about the west a lot of times they're talking about east of us the arid west mm-hmm. um but nonetheless it was a it was a big journey and we're going to and that ties in with uh our most recent book club book and so we're just going to be talking a little bit about about the west today and uh western books yeah one of the things that we did so um we left here and drove um east and north to spokane and then north up into northern idaho and crossed over in northern montana Mm -hmm. to uh, whitefish in the glacier national park area and stayed there for a little while and then drove down south to livingston montana Mm -hmm. and into yellowstone and drove through the the northern part of yellowstone the lamar valley and then up through Beartooth Pass, which was crazy. Beartooth Pass. <laughs> and um, and then over into So basically what we did, Wyoming. we went down um, through Livingston. You cross over into Wyoming in the northwestern corner, sort of skirt along the edge. And then in order to go through the pass, we crossed back up into Montana and then took sort of a roundabout little way back into Wyoming and crossed the northern Wyoming area to the Bighorn Mountains. And then we proceeded down through the southern Bighorns, down sort of the middle of the state through Thermopolis to uh, Rock Springs area. And then from there, we made our way back up. North up to uh, Back up to the northwest corner Uh of, of Wyoming and then through southern Idaho, Oregon, and home. Yeah. So one of the cool things we did as we took our journey along that route was that we stopped in as many small bookstores as we mm-hmm. could find and a lot of the bookstores have little sections of like regional yeah topical books about and and local authors mm-hmm. and writings about the west some of whom in that area are are very big authors mm-hmm. um it's an uh, area particularly um southwestern wyoming or montana rich mm-hmm. in historically rich in in writers so yeah, I I brought a ridiculous number of books, <laughs> probably like forty books in a box. I just it kept wasn't that many. well, well, it was a lot, and I and, and I was just like going through. You know, I always do this, getting ready to go, and with the theme, the Western theme, I started going. Oh, I'd love to read that while I'm there. You know, crazy delusional stuff. How many books did you read while we were there? One. Yeah, I thought so. Um, but I thought about a lot of other books. And then and then also while we were gone, we bought a bunch of books. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And I'll say, too, that the impetus for the trip was we had a Becky family thing in Whitefish. And then I wanted to go down into Wyoming because Wyoming is sort of a, a place I'd wanted to go for a long time. My paternal grandmother's family came here from the Rock Springs area. Um, they were coal miners. And Wyoming has always had a bit of a legendary um, status in my mind and I, I gotta say after visiting it's undiminished I want to go back um, we're only going to be going to Wyoming for our vacations for the foreseeable future so it's going to be really uh, <laughs> uh. it's going to be great anyway so let's 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 move for a second to we can talk about our trip sort of interspersed here um, before we went on our trip uh, we had a very nice book club meeting on mm-hmm. Deep Creek which is neither about Montana or Wyoming, but about Colorado. Yeah. But it is sort of high country, similar uh, sort of vibe, um, similar economic communities and stuff. So uh, let's talk about that. So uh, Deep Creek is a memoir by Pam Houston. Mm-hmm. And it was published a couple of years ago. Yeah. 
and well received. Very which well is why received. Why we yeah. picked it. And then um, she's also the author of Cowboys Are My Weakness, which is a collection of short stories. Yes. That I have not read. That is probably the book that most people would know from her, but she's written a number. So her memoir really centers on this ranch in Colorado, which she purchased after she sold her first book, that Cowboys Cowboys Are My Weakness. Yeah. And it talks about how that land has kind of been the center of of her life since then. And and she kind of uses it as a way to talk about her relationships and her family. Right, and her evolution through her mm-hmm. adulthood. It's a really interestingly structured book, too. So it, it sort of proceeds as a memoir, but it's broken up by these little subsections that are... Like ranch journals. Yeah, I can't remember what she calls them, but yeah, they're little diary pieces, mm-hmm. little vignettes about... Um, sort of stuff that happens on the ranch some of them are about a particular animal on the ranch mm-hmm. other ones are about a particular sort of task and they sort of break it's good um it's interesting the information is all really interesting but it's also good because it often breaks up some like much heavier material mm-hmm. oh it's a tremendous book and you know it's one of those books where i read it you know because i knew we were going to be talking about it and i've continued to think about it mm-hmm. and sort of you know, there's some books like that where where you continue, they continue to sort of grow in your mind after you read them. And I think it's quite an achievement, you know, what she did in terms of, you know, it's an achievement. The, the book centers around this achievement, which is paying off this ranch um, and, and making a go of it, right? Yeah. Not, not, not really an economic go, but like a go of it in terms of managing it. Yeah, she had made this leap. So after she sold Cowboys Are My Weakness, she drove around to the Pacific Northwest and then the 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 Mountain West. Mountain West and was looking kind of for a piece of land to buy. She talks a little bit about how growing up she never felt she had like a real like home base. Right. And that's kind of what she was looking for. She'd fallen in love with this ranch property that was for sale that she could not afford. She wouldn't have been able to get a bank loan. A bank loan for it. The woman who was selling it liked the look of her. Right. And so financed it herself and sold it to this woman. And she was paying a mortgage to her that was like right. also more than she could really afford at the time. But she was like, I'll find a way to make it work. And it's really incredible how she was able to do that um, by gigging mostly like teaching gigs yeah. and, and writing pieces for um, publication in different places mm-hmm. um, yeah. and just working really, Doing really Doing the hard. sort of writer's workshop circuit, mm-hmm. uh, readings. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Yeah, and it sort of ties in that woman uh, who sold her the ranch. It's a very tight community. Do you remember the name? Creed. Yeah. Creed, Colorado. It's a very tight community. And, you know, that ties in with a lot of other books I've read about the region are, are these incredible profiles of these communities. Um, and she talks a lot about the people who help her and who she helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's always an interesting thing because there's this great, one of the great mythos of the American West is the rugged individualist John Wayne, you know, whatever. But when you dig in, a lot of it, there is a lot of, uh, community and re- just really relying on people, like mm-hmm. really relying on them. Like, you know, if if uh, this gentleman isn't able to bring the hay up and the animals are going to die, you know, like yeah. really relying on people and, and the sort of kindnesses that happen. It's, it's very much a profile of that community. One of the uh, interesting, and it was talked about a bunch in our book club, segments that's sort of just sort of its own segment in the book is all about fire um yeah. and this big fire that was threatening her ra- really threatening her ranch and that's the section when we were on our trip that i kept thinking of yes thinking back to because we drove through not any area that like where we could see fire but a lot of wildfire smoke yeah yeah and she also talks about the phenomenon which a lot of people in the northwest are going to be familiar with into canada over into the mountain west of beetle killed timber Mm -hmm. whether it's spruce or pine uh and i i did when we went on our trip i noticed stuff oh yeah and and the book is very much it's about a couple of things right i mean this it's about this ranch it's it's really about pam houston she she talks about her background she had a a real dysfunctional family even abusive uh family in situation and 
her efforts to sort of heal and to figure out how to sort of just be a person and, and live. And also, you know, as a person who's, who's an environmentalist and who's written a lot about um, the natural world, how to live in the moment we're in w sort of with clear eyes but without despair and to see beauty. And so she's, she's reckoning with that a lot. And she's made a sort of marriage to this piece of land. And I remember you talking about, you know, as the, she's actually elsewhere, she has to be gone a lot in order to be able to afford this piece of mm -hmm. land, which has created a real distinctive life for her. But she's away. She's in, you know, California or something, watching on the news and checking the fire, uh, forest service site, mm -hmm. and she's contemplating what it'll mean if the, you know, the beautiful aspen groves and and spruce forests if they're just burned to the ground, and she comes to this decision that she'll stay. She'll watch yeah. that process of regeneration for the rest of her life. You know, mm -hmm. she's thinking in natural time. You know. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy. The part with the wildfire really builds like this. Um, suspense because she's mm -hmm. just like checking the fire maps and calling her partner who's on the ranch um in danger in danger yeah like when are we going to get the horses out when are we mm -hmm. going to make making calls making yeah decisions to evacuate and um when am i going to cancel this class that i'm teaching right. and leave um and it's it's happening all at the same time where she's getting ready to make her last payment on the ranch that she's been yes um, <laughs> paying on for you know twenty yeah. some odd years yeah, yeah. Um, yes and there's that that I was really like moved by that like what will happen if everything is yeah. lost and she's like I'll stay. she makes a very moving she makes a very moving decision in it yeah we that was a that that section was a real topic of discussion in our group. I found it very suspenseful. Mm -hmm. But it I is quite long. It is quite long. I found it very suspenseful. But I thought about it a lot after I finished reading the book. And I thought it about it a lot. You know, we decided to go um, to the west, east to the west, as we <laughs> said. And, you know, there's these things of like, oh, I hope it's not too smoky or da da da. And I sort of just felt like, you know what? No, like, this is the this is the reality. You know what? You want to go see the West right now. This is the reality. Yeah. Right. It's the smoke. It's the eerie stands of beetle killed spruce. It's there was this one part where we were driving through this like little you know mountain area where like hillsides are just like yeah. why are all the trees dead? You know. Yeah. It's it no. Looks, it's the real and, yeah. and and that's something that Pam. Houston does in this book, I think, she's trying to figure out how to be hopeful, how to see beauty. I think she sees a lot of beauty in, in her students and the young ranch sitters mm -hmm. who come. But she's also trying to not look away, mm -hmm. right? And so I was thinking about that a lot as we were going through um, and seeing the evidence of, you know, the real experience of what it's like um, over much of the West and, yeah. and much, of the co much of the coast now, frankly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and I was saying, like, I'd really related to that experience. My family owns property up adjacent to the Gifford Pinchot last, last fall. The fires uh, that burned in the, the National Forest there got fairly close to our, our family property. And, like, watching the evacuation orders yeah. and, and watching the fire maps. and No, and, um, and it's the kind of thing, fire is so unpredictable. Mm -hmm. The wind being wrong for a certain number of days, and it could have been right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and then it just, like, while we were there, so, um, we just spent one day in Glacier mm -hmm. National Park and had booked a, a tour on the Red Jammers, so those mm -hmm. the, these old 1930s tour buses that, that they still use in the park, um, which, which is very cool, um, and they're, like, open air, open air tour buses, so there's mm -hmm. the, the woman who drove the bus and gave the tour has been doing it there for 18, 18 years. years 18 years and she was great mm -hmm. debbie i think that's right debbie and she had little earrings and the, and the <laughs> earrings were little red buses yeah and she was just cool man she was like she had all the stories she's like let me tell you how it is mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and she told a personal story about the fires that happened in glacier i think it was in 2018 about you know living right there and working there and the decisions that they made about evacuating and clearing yeah. and stuff but we um we took the half the four-hour tour that goes up the going to the sun road which is it's like up to a pass and then back down the way you came and it's just gorgeous right the road itself is a feat 
of, of, engineering. of engineering and and stuff. Yeah, it becomes really important that those buses are open topped because the views are so vertical at some points that you're looking up through the, mm-hmm. the the top of the vehicle. But when we got there, she is saying um, she does two four hour tours, and the morning tour was very smoky. That their views of even the mountains that were like fairly close by were really obstructed. Yeah, and that we had been really lucky because they'd gotten a wind come through that cleared right. most of the smoke out and so no, we, we had a we had a good it was good it was good i would love to go back i mean we mm-hmm. scratched the surface of glacier barely but it, it would be interesting to see it you know different seasons and things mm-hmm. like that yeah and the views we got were just we just got lucky that one afternoon yeah. on our way back when we stopped uh briefly in the teton national park was a smoky day there and i'd been to the tetons before and it was austin's first time and i was like yeah. I'm sorry, like the you could still see the mountains and they are still beautiful, right. but that you know it was it's r- different, really hazy and it um, was also really busy, yeah. But <laughs> but the sky, just the sky yeah. oh. and the haze, yeah. so that you couldn't see like the mountains as clear and beautiful as they otherwise would have been. Right. But I was wondering about that that experience of the parks now every summer if it's just going to be that way right right um yeah no that's a good that's a good question and i was thinking about too um it was interesting having read this book and then actually debbie on the bus was talking a lot about fire and Mm -hmm. she was talking showing different areas of the park that had burned in the last i don't even know what the span was some of it was quite old She, she had at her fingertips it was really quite interesting examples of like oh this burned you know 80 years ago and then this Mm -hmm. burned a few years ago and then they had one spot where they had trouble because the fire just came back through because she talked about how some of those pine trees are activated by fire. Those seeds are activated. So you see this crop of new, we saw that. But then they had some areas where they had a fire rip through again. So it delays that process. But it's, it's, yeah, I think it's an important thing to go see. Um, It got clearer as we got down into Wyoming Mm-hmm. especially when we we're down in southern Wyoming. I mean, yeah. it was clear, you know. But yeah, a, a wonderful. I'm really glad we read that book. Yeah. I'm really glad we read it. I'd recommend that book. The stuff she talks about her family is really devastating, and she never really circles back to it quite in the way that I was expecting. I don't think she behaves about that stuff in any way like I was expecting. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of stuff where... You know, like her relationship with her father post-abuse is difficult to get your head around. But she also doesn't focus on it, really. It's Mm -hmm. sort of like, I mean, a lot of things come full circle, though, you know, toward the end of the book. That's true. You know, she comes back around and, and, you know, there was a kind of permission she gives herself eventually. Um, She has some money she inherited from her father, who was was a terrible abuser. And and, and she just sort of like let it sit there forever. She both didn't want it because of who it came from, but also didn't feel she deserved it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think toward the end of the book, there's a real, she's paid off the ranch. She renovates this cabin that belonged to one of the homesteaders' children, who those those people are sort of characters in this, because she sees herself, you know, obviously on a a sort of continuum with them on this piece of land. And she renovates it and makes it into her place. And there's this sort of real room of one's own Mm -hmm. moment where it's like, oh, I give, and she does it with that money, I should say. Gives, gives herself really permission because she's always there's a lot of her standing back and doubting herself and stuff uh, through the process mm-hmm. of dealing with the ranch um, one of the interesting things about the ranch too is because she's gone so frequently in order to work to make the payments on the ranch um, she hires ranch sitters yeah who who stay there you know, like half the year I yeah, think yeah um, and to take care of you know, she doesn't have a ton of animals on the ranch, but the animals that live there and there's the property in general. And she has some like pretty wild stories about some of the people that who did that work for her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She has a quite a, quite a time with it. So. so, yeah, we read that one. Deep Creek by Pam Houston. Check it out. We got a copy at the library. And then we have a meeting Tuesday for our second and last adult book club for the summer and we're reading Migrations by Charlotte McConaughey McConaughey um, which was a novel about a woman who um, so it's set in like a near future and it's funny because we didn't like 
I picked we picked these books to go with the animal theme for summer right. reading. We sort of picked books we had that were sort of well received that we wanted to read that fairly tied recent. in with animals. Yes, and that were fairly recent and new out in paperback. Right. But I didn't mean for them to be both kind of like dealing with like <laughs> climate disasters. Right. Very environmental, both uh, of them. But they are. And so migrations is set in like a near future where climate disaster has has really started to kick off the extinctions of extinctions of of all kinds of wildlife and so the main character decides that she wants to follow the final migration of this um group Mm -hmm. of arctic terns Mm -hmm. and so she finds like a boat captain who's willing to kind of let her you know stow away stow away yeah on the fishing boat as they go to the arctic and she's tagged a couple of the turns and they're following following them. following them kind of yeah. at the end times. And I'm really interested to see, I'm just at the beginning. And I'm also just. I, I'm really beginning. interested to see how that is. It came up in our discussion, our book club discussion about Houston's book that, you know, that she's obviously an environmental, she's done a lot of environmental work and a lot of environmental writing that the, the environmental writing and the sort of advocacy such as it is in the book is very subtle. It's very personal. Mm-hmm. I think as such, is even more effective, right? Because there's always a risk of being heavy-handed um, when, you, when you're coming in and trying to do a creative work with an agenda, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not that she, you know what I mean, not that she has an agenda in all of it, but like... Not that like everybody doesn't have an Not agenda. that everybody doesn't have an agenda, <laughs> but you know, with, with a particular policy agenda, say. Sure. And I think what she does is she really, in the parts too, where she's out on these magazine pieces and experiencing the effects of of climate change or or pollution or whatever she makes it very very personal she makes it very very and with the fire it's like it's right in her backyard Mm -hmm. and so you know she's not telling you about it how you should think this she's letting you experience it so i think that's also a way that that book is really really powerful yes and you were saying you have some concerns that migrations is not going to be. Oh, I don't know. You know, I tried the audio book. Wasn't you know? It didn't. It didn't. I didn't get into it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm gonna see. I am just always interested. It's a rare sort of novel, and I think you know you can get away with anything in fiction if you do it well enough, mm-hmm. right? Or you know, there are rules um, which you can break if you're good enough. And um, I have read books before that I where I think. The point the author is trying to make is too heavy-handed, or they or they're they're letting it get in the way of the sort of Characters organicness of the and, fiction. Yeah, and I've also read books that are environmental, sort of that are that are great. It's just so I'm curious to see which one this will be. <laughs> Either way, we'll have a lot to say. Yeah. Um, so th- so that's one book we were kind of talking though about the constellation of Western Western writing. Um, I didn't read as many of the books as I'd hoped to. No. But, you know, we, we, so, so, you know, we did, we did this books, uh, bookstore tour, um, made our way down to Livingston, wonderful Livingston, shout out to Livingston, to Wheatgrass Books, wonderful shop. And, uh, they're not a sponsor. And, uh, <laughs> we, we went in there and then we went and stayed at a place called, uh, Pine Creek Lodge, also not a sponsor. And they, it was, it was wonderful. It, it was on the site of this old lodge. It was converted shipping containers, you know, just, just a bit north of, of Yellowstone, the Mammoth Springs entrance. And it turned out we get in this little box, right? And there's a plaque up on the wall that's talking about how the Montana gang of writers in the six, 60s and 70s hung around, not, not in the area, right? There, yeah. right there. It's like, we think Jim Harrison wrote Legends of the Fall in one of the, in one of the like cabins here. Yeah, and yeah, so it's been it's different now. So right. all the, the transformed shipping different containers. Different owners, yeah. But they've named about half of the shipping containers yeah. after those right. the people. writers. And I don't know all of them, but, you know, Thomas McGuane, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Richard Brodigan, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Harrison. Uh, I actually knew some of these people because, you know, not related to any of this, I'd picked up a Rick Bass book. He's also a Montana writer, lives not that far from one of the places we camped in the Yak River Valley. And he wrote a book, really, really interesting book recently. I, I can't, the title escapes me, but it's about him going around and he takes his students, he's a teacher, and they prepare meals for mentors of his. 
And so he goes on the road and has all of these incredible meals. Each chapter is an incredible meal with, with a with an icon, right? And uh, and so he he does a lot of these iconic Western and environmental writers: Peter Matheson, Doug Peacock, Thomas McGuane, um, others too. But but so I some of that had sort of picked my interest too, because he describes some of the areas we were passing through. Mm-hmm. Oh, what is that called? The Traveling Feast. The Traveling Feast. It's wonderful. Wonderful book. Interesting. I haven't read anything else by him book length, um, but he's sort of at this place where he's he's getting older. His daughters are leaving for college, right? He's just come, you know, unexpectedly lost his marriage, right? And so he's thinking about life and its trajectories, and he's realizing that a lot of his mentors are getting, you know, getting up mm-hmm. there. And he's also, he's a bridge, you know? He wants to be a bridge between these people who, who aren't going to be around. And a number of them died during the writing of the book. And these young people he sees coming up. And so it's it's a fun read. And if you like food, it'll make you really hungry. Yeah. Austin read a little bit of it out loud to me. And I was like, oh, this sounds like real name droppy. <laughs> well. I was like, you know, and then my friend so-and-so, they were also there. Well, yeah. I think he does a pretty good job of avoiding that. But occasionally, you know. I guess it's just like in the topic that you can't. You know. He can't totally avoid it. <laughs> no. Um, I think it's a difficulty, though, when people you know start being famous. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of coloring my thinking as we took off, too. I did pick up a copy in Livingston of Legends of the Fall yeah. um, and Doug Peacock's book. Uh, if people know Edward Abbey, uh, the famous uh, sort of environmentalist, uh, provocateur, writer, uh, author of Desert Solitaire, uh, Doug Peacock was sort of a um, mentee of his and the inspiration for the Hey Duke character in the Monkey Wrench Gang. And he wrote a book about tracking grizzlies. I picked up a copy of that. So I came home with a lot of homework for myself. <laughs> um, I'm reading some Annie Prue by yeah, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Um, rereading, wonderfully, wonderfully. I had been planning to read it while we were there because there's a book I love so much, Gretel Ehrlich. Um, sort of the book that put her on the map, The Solace of Open Spaces. I'm not totally finished rereading it, but it is just such a pleasure. It's one of those books, it's a little book, and it's so perfect on the line level that you just, it's like candy, you know? Um, And it's about her sort of like finding herself in Wyoming, in the northern region of Wyoming, where we went through the Bighorns specifically, Mm -hmm. uh, in the wake of a of a tragic personal tragedy and and ending up really embedded in in community in in the area around Shell Wyoming and it's just so beautiful I highly recommend it it's it's been out on our staff picks shelf um, and will be again as soon as I finish it um, it's a wonderful wonderful book and uh, it makes me want to go back I just got back from there yeah we didn't quite go through Shell um... no no. But we went through a lot of areas that she talks about in the book. Uh, Ten Sleep. Yeah, uh, Dayton. that was a really cute town. I liked Ten Sleep. Mm-hmm. Man, can they grow hollyhocks down there? I don't know. <laughs> you know, we have these old pictures from when, you know, my great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather uh, had a mm-hmm. place in a coal camp outside of Rock Springs, and Union Pacific would have garden contests. And, and, and if you know that area, it is sagebrush for miles, you know? And so it was. It's a feat to garden, especially <laughs> conventional gardening. And uh, we have pictures, and the hollyhocks are doing pretty good. So, mm-hmm. yeah. We had a really good like hamburger in Ten Sleep. Yeah. And it's like they cooked the he cooked the hamburger, and then he put the relish on the hamburger, and then put the cheese on top of the relish. Yeah. And it was like a homemade like pepper. It was really good. Yeah, it was. It was a cool little spot, mm-hmm. and he was real cool. Shout out to uh, One Cow and Ten Sleep, yeah. not a sponsor. Um, <laughs> no, that was wonderful. And it's interesting to read about those places now. And this mm-hmm. book was written um, in the late mid-late 70s, so it's interesting, too, to read about what it was mm-hmm. like back then. Um, One of the fun things about Wyoming is that every sign for their like communities has the population of the <laughs> place on it. It's true. So it's like... And it's often not a lot. Yeah, like Reliance, population... 300. 300. Or there's towns where it's like population twelve or one. Yeah, famously, <laughs> those those towns have become kind of like tourist spots. Yeah, 
No, it was it was very magical for me, and there's so much more to see. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of these things. I guess you get out on the road, and it just sort of whets your appetite. Um, yeah. Because we're talking. Oh, I want to go back and spend more time in Glacier. We're yeah. gonna get hit the Black Hills. So I want to get to Eastern Montana and Wyoming and see all the wonderful things on those sides. So yeah. And then you talking about like the communities like that Gretel Ehrlich writes about. Yes. It made me think of, so we stopped in some town. Crowley. Crow- Cowley, Cowley, excuse me. Cowley, Wyoming, um, to do laundry at this 24-7 car wash slash laundromat. And it was like 100 degrees inside the laundromat because the air conditioner was broken. But um, then this like rancher woman came in. Yeah. We were there by ourselves doing our like one load of laundry. And this rancher woman came in. Her name was Holly. Yeah. In her rusted pickup with her healer yeah. pup that she was training. Training um, to Just in from irrigating the, the ditches on her 350 acres. Yeah. And uh, she was a delight. She, she was, was a delight. Yeah. And we talked to her for a good, good long while mm-hmm. in the sauna that was that 24-hour laundromat. That was wonderful. We met a couple people like that where it yeah. was just real, like, fun to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and interesting to hear. Um, she wasn't like native Wyoming, and she had come up from like Nevada. She was from Florida, but she had lived yeah. like everywhere else. But she was very Wyoming in her presentation, <laughs> as as you as you might have gathered. Yeah, no, that was that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the community. It's interesting because yes, that's another thing about yeah. the solace of open spaces. Um, a great profile of community um, and the tenderness of these people. Um, and it reminds me also another book that that sort of I think does that shows like how communitarian the West mm-hmm. really is, yes. especially since these people live in harsh climates and they need each other. Yeah. Right? Is the Meadow um, by James Galvin, um, mm-hmm. which we read and talked about on the podcast uh, quite a while ago. January. January um, is another great book about the West, um, and you can go back and check check out that podcast. But one of the things that um, Holly had asked us is if we were driving around looking for a place to move to because I think that's something that um, people are getting um, and we we're like oh no we're just on vacation but it felt like you know she was like if you move here like welcome it felt like a really like yeah uh, you know yeah welcoming situation so yeah it was really nice yeah the meadow that was a good one that was also the southern Wyoming northern Colorado yeah, I remember in the book it talks about how neither of the states wanted to like claim this little piece of claim land. Claim this little piece of land. Yeah. No, there's so many great, and you know, I could go on and on and on. And and I know we don't want that, but <laughs> um like I mentioned, you know, Wallace Stagner, obviously a great writer of the West. William Kittredge, his great memoir Hole in the Sky, which is about his life sort of growing up and then sort of rejecting his life on one of the enormous ranches of Eastern Oregon. Uh, I just read, you know, in fiction, too. I'm always really interested in the Western. You know, mm-hmm. these aren't Westerns that we've been talking about, but the Western in fiction and its potentials, mm-hmm. right? It's unexplored potentials. Read Outlawed by Anna North not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Got Made a big splash. Uh, Reese's Book Club, all that. Really, really something. A sort of weird mix of alternate history that's also somehow seems a post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. This is a post-apocalyptic alternate history. <laughs> With a real, like, feminist core, like uh, Handmaid's Tale meets, uh, you know, True Grit meets Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I mean, it was so good. And it takes that sort of legend slash history of the Hole in the Wall gang, Butch Cassidy, Mm -hmm. which we didn't make it to the Hole in the Wall in Casey, Wyoming, but oh well. Um, (laughs) And and turns it on its head. And there's so much room to do that in that genre, both in, you know, obviously in Outlawed, Anna North does it by really changing a lot of stuff, right? She's not sticking to the history of the West. She's expanding the genre with real inventiveness. But there's also, and and I know a number of people are at work on books like this, and there are books like this coming out, uh, a lot of room to like expand the genre of the Western just by being truer to the history than Westerns Mm, have traditionally been. You know, books about black cowboys and like uh, the Asian experience Mm -hmm. uh, in the West and women and it's such an area that is ripe for, you know, discovery. Uh, yeah. I'm always really excited. Yeah, and we did we did like a lot of um, wildlife, nature things. Um, our drive through the Lamar Valley part of Yellowstone was like particularly exciting for me. We saw it was like hot 
a hot day. It's been a hot summer there, I think hotter than normal. And just like hundreds and hundreds of bison uh, along the river valley, crossing the roads, baby ones, yeah. like little calves. Little golden brown calves. They're oh beautiful. Gosh. I like cried. There was a group of them crossing the road and wrote, walked right by the van and I was just really moved. And then we were in a museum uh, later that was talking about, you know, at the turn of the century, of not this century, but the previous century, there were only 23 bison left in the, in, on, the planet. on the planet. And they were all in Yellowstone National Park. Um, and to think of all of the ones that we saw, you know, a couple of days earlier. And certainly we saw more than 23 calves, you know. It was just... Oh, it's powerful. It's, and and yeah. you know, it sort of ties into what I was talking about with, with the smoke, with everything. He's witnessing mm-hmm. the real thing, right? That's that's huge. That, that, that species was saved by a hare. Yeah. And it does, I think, give you like a little bit of hope when you're reading these other books about you know, how all these trees are killed by invasive beetles and, right. um, you know, this imagining of a near future where all these animals are going extinct to think like we have made changes to make it better. And, oh, and no. We could do that. And life still. is so tenacious. And that's mm-hmm. that's sort of one of the takeaways Pam Houston does, too. It's just so, you know, even if it's just the regeneration of the forest, mm-hmm. life is so tenacious and adaptive that give it a chance and it and it it will surprise you, you know, Um and people will surprise you. That comes up in this too. These communities, yeah. you know, I think overall the literature of the West is a, is a hopeful literature. Yeah. Not just you know, there's a sort of false hope of of the boom and the you know that sort of early West, but also you know sort of the West now and where do we go from here? So mm-hmm. it's a wonderful literature, both nonfiction and fiction and poetry for that matter. Yeah, we also did a lot of historical things. We had an opportunity to visit Heart Mountain, the site of the Japanese internment camp that was there that they've made into like an interpretive center. And we could have spent a lot more time there than we did. Probably Um, one of the best. But it was like closing, so we had to leave. Oh, yeah. Probably (laughs) one of the best museums I've been to. Yeah, it's incredible. Just like really well done exhibits that tell like the the full picture of, of life there and, you know, what happened to the people after they left too which i think is like a story that isn't told as often um as like what happened you know when they closed down the oh yeah camps and the people didn't have homes or businesses to return to because they've been um it was very powerful i would really recommend if you if if you're in the area or you know there are others uh, that you that you visit one of those places Uh, and we met a couple who were visiting there it's interesting so you can go into the museum and and then you can also they have like a little walking tour with plaques that point out the different places um that were there they have still a couple of the um like housing barracks right and like the like a part of the hospital that was there right that they've just sort of let to stand Yeah. yeah and we met a couple who were there and they had come from it's like southern california the man had recently read this book that came out i think last year earlier this year called the eagles of heart mountain right yeah um which i had seen in a um, that's sitting up on our new books display right at this moment they came out in january of this year yeah and it's about um a football team in this in this camp at heart mountain and i think also the military service that these men did yes so um he was he was like so enthusiastic about this book. Yeah. He said he loves football. He's super interested in the military and in World War II history. And he traveled to Heart Mountain, Wyoming, in order to to visit to visit because of this book that he read. Not just that. I think he had actually reached out and, yeah. and contacted a couple of the players who he found out were living in California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was quite an experience. And and you know again, it was it was so tied in with things we'd been doing because you did a book club about George Takai's uh, graphic memoir, right? Right. They called us Enemy. We'd done that with the teens in our teen book club in May. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, and it was interesting to me too, you know, they have a couple things which are sort of like they have a bunkhouse that that they very intentionally put by the visitor center, which is where the guards originally lived. And then they have a, a tower, you know, one of the guard towers. But the buildings up on the hill, most of the land that it occupied, it, 10,000 people, it was the third largest city in Wyoming at the time. 
third largest city in Wyoming. Most of that has gone back to private farmland. There's not a lot left, but that little bit left, they have left it there, but they have left it there to decay. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's such an interesting, we encountered another monument like that, where it was, you know, it's a tragedy. And so they're, it's not like they're keeping the buildings up, you know, to, to, they're, they're leaving them there to waste away. And, and it was kind of like stand as a testament to what happened there. Yeah, it was the Smith mining disaster. And uh, we were just sort of stumbling our way through uh, Montana, Wyoming, you know, kind of late. And we come around this corner and, you know, the hills are just this tan, you know, dry color. And, and the sky, it was like dusk. So it was, it was dusk. Like a partic- that and the particular... storm's coming in. And we come around this corner and, and just see all these buildings standing out there. And it's not like, you know, you see a lot of like ranch buildings and stuff. It was mm-hmm. different. I thought, is it a ghost town? You know, it was just something so evocative about it. And we pull over and, you know, all over Wyoming, they have these big signs that are like point of interest. And so we pull over and it was a it was an old mining facility where the largest mine disaster in Montana's history had occurred. And 73 miners were killed. Uh, It's near Bear Creek, Montana. And I don't know. And it was it was the atmosphere of the night. And the mm-hmm. place and the eeriness of it. We just like when we we just drove driven off of that pass too, and it was like beautiful. But then as we drove up to the highest part of the elevation, drove like right into a storm cloud, and so I was driving these like switchback lanes up the and then down, yeah. like into the hail, out of the hail, into yeah. the hail, out of the hail. Um, it was pretty dramatic. Yeah, uh, drive. And and the drive was dramatic after we left the Smith Mining disaster. We drove through one of those Wyoming lightning storms where it's like an hour and a half of driving with lightning on all sides. But I don't know, something about coming on it unexpectedly, you know, they had this explosion in this mine and some people were killed instantly, of course, and but some weren't, um, died slowly of while people dug to get them. And mm-hmm. they had reprinted one of the notes that these men had written um, before before they died. And it was just... I thought about it a lot afterward. Yeah. And that that was the same deal. They had left the plant. And this was only in the 40s. This is like, you know, comparatively pretty recent. Um, This is the same time as the Heart Mountain. But like, this is not ancient history. This Mm -hmm. is, you know, kids of theirs are alive Mm -hmm. and stuff. So they left it there to to stand. And uh, wow, what a lonesome spot. Yeah. Oh, so that, that, that letter, it was like, yeah, you know they they are stuck down there, and they know that people won't reach them in time. Yeah, um, they're running out of oxygen, and so, you know, they wrote this letter to their family that's like, "We love you." Yeah, Ugh. um, dying an easy death. Mm-hmm. Be good. I think it's said. Yeah, and I watched a little. I watched a little local Montana, you know, human interest piece, you know, from recently about about it, and they talked about miners came from all over miners came up from Wyoming to try to help dig them out mm-hmm. but it was too far they were some of them were they were 2 miles on into the mine so anyway yeah so saw so many things yeah the other um kind of purposeful history thing that we did was that when we were down in Rock Springs cuz that's where Austin's family had come from um He's like particular interest in the history there. And mm-hmm. so we visited the Rock Springs Historical Museum. Yes, the kind city like museum. First yeah. off. And it was, um, I don't know, it was like we drove in and there it was. So we stopped there. We weren't really planning on it. No. But they had a really uh, great exhibits. Wonderful. It, mm-hmm. All donated. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in this like neo-Gothic looking like castle building <laughs> that was the city administration until like 1980 something. Yeah. So it was like. City Hall, the old jail, police, fire station, all together. Fire, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really interesting. And then we were looking up his family history, and Austin's like, oh, I wish we could get, you know, ancestry here. And I was like, oh, we can. <laughs> I was like, it's like a library You just commercial. need your local library. Um, but because we have remote access to ancestry yeah. through the end of the year, um, we were able to log in on our cell phones with our library cards. Yeah, it's very helpful. Look up like census and stuff information. Try to find an address to look for an old house. Yeah. Yeah. Which was really, really cool. Yeah. And then. Um, we went also to the Green River, the Sweetwater County Historical yes, Museum, which is in Green so River, Wyoming, just, just a ways down the road. Obsessed with John Wesley Powell. Let me tell you, <laughs> folks. They had a big statue of him a outside. A statue like, you know. Sweetwater County, right? The whole county, but like half, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. 
It's great exhibits. Half devoted to Sweetwater County and half devoted to John Wesley Powell because he launched one of his famous expeditions that ultimately went to the Grand Canyon from Green River, Wyoming. So the Green River eventually going into the Colorado. Um, so that was really interesting. Yeah, and both of the museums have like an interesting exhibit about kind of the history of the diversity of that area. Very diverse. Yeah, as like a coal mining area, they recruited people from all over the world to come and work there. Mm -hmm. And one one thing that was interesting, I think the Sweetwater County Museum had like a a really nice, really nice exhibit yeah. about it. Was the the Chinese massacre? The Chinese massacre there. Yeah. Yeah, crazy event that had happened. I forget the year, but basically there had been tensions um, because there was, you know, cheap Chinese labor and, you know, a fight, little fight, right, over, you know, like somebody fight, being yeah. scheduled, you know, two Chinese miners were scheduled the same place that two white miners were supposed to be. And they're like, why are you here in this room? Why are you here in general at all? And then they started burning homes, killing yeah, just... quite a few. The Chinese government sent emissaries to investigate. Mm -hmm. Congress changed laws because of it. They had to send in um, the, National the National Guard to secure the Chinese safety and take them uh, west to Evanston. It's crazy. And, and I think really not known about. Not yeah. known about. I mean, certainly not generally. But yeah, super diverse. That's, that's the tagline of Rock Springs is sort of like 56 nationalities. They have a really strong Slovenian community, Greek community, Italian community. Italian community, Polish. My people were Polish and other Eastern Europeans. But it was really broad, more more broad than I knew. We went to the cemetery to visit uh, family graves, and it was like you, you could see it in the names. Mm -hmm. um, so that was very interesting. That was very interesting. And, and the land down there is very different. You know, we, we, we crossed a lot of different kinds of territory, and— it's different, and some people kind of knock it, you know. Uh, we said we were going to Rock Springs and the sporting goods store, and the guy's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's like high desert, you know. Yeah. It's like sagebrush for miles, but there, there's something about it. It's very evocative, these rock, mm. uh, natural rock sculptures that rise up and jackrabbits yeah. and sagebrush. and Yeah, and on the way down through, the Bighorns drove through, like, lots of really beautiful canyons and interesting, oh. like— Crazy Woman Canyon, we went down a bit. We didn't have the vehicle for it, but it was gorgeous. Those of you who know the film Jeremiah Johnson, that's the that's the crazy woman from that film. Um, we went through the Longmire town. Craig Johnson, <laughs> Johnson, Johnston? Uh-huh. Craig Johnson fans. Uh, yeah, it's Buffalo. Buffalo, Wyoming, and they are owning it. Yeah, there's like, um, what's the name of the sheriff? Uh, Walt Longmire, Walt Durant, Longmire. Wyoming. Yeah, stuff everywhere. You're like, are we in Buffalo, Wyoming, or in are we in Durant? They should just change the name. <laughs> no, it was like merch. It was like you went to the restaurant and it was like, uh, Sheriff Longmire's dinner specials. You know, it yeah. was like, it was it was cool. And I'd never know? seen the show before, but of course that night we had to watch an episode. Like, yeah, I'm rewatching it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cell phone so i could understand what it was all about yeah. we watched another western we were trying to like to watch like a real like a movie filmed in montana yeah. or or story set in montana and we're like you know the the big hitters come to mind like a river runs through it didn't like have legends it. of the fall legends of the fall um so we ended up settling for this movie and it was fine <laughs> it's like a uh, Kevin Costner and Robert Duvall vehicle called Open Range, uh -huh. and and it was fine. It was a really Annette Benning. Yeah, it was a really adequate, adequate western. Yeah, the dialogue was fine. Yeah, but it was about this conflict between Open Range ranchers and right and big cattle interests and, and yeah, um, and we watched that when we were in Montana, and then when we drove further south where they have a lot of open range cattle like the whole northern yeah. bighorns area was you know it's like oh this is what they were talking about all of these cattle oh yeah yeah and and you know we didn't even delve that much into it but tremendous history in wyoming of cattle wars mm -hmm. violence you know we went through johnson county where buffalo was the johnson county wars tom horn um there's the steve mcqueen movie about that it's it's it was really People, it was true to the history. Mm -hmm. People were very violent in pursuit of land rights and uh, grazing rights and water rights and mineral rights. And like some of those are still going on. Yeah. Yeah. That 
a rancher woman that we met had brought that up too about water rights. Yeah, and she, how. she said it really depended what your last name was. <laughs> and that that is, you know, the history of the West. Mm-hmm. Another cool thing that we saw in the Northern Bighorns was that medicine wheel. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We took, it's funny because it's like a nice, easy hike. Um, it was fine. It was really hot. It has some elevation gain. Yeah, so it's a it's a medicine wheel national historic monument, I think. Yeah. Something like that. But it's like an active spiritual site that's still being yeah. used by native peoples today and has been for 10,000 years. They say that same path that you walk to get there is the one that's been walked for so long. And the medicine wheel is like a large how far around would you say? Oh gosh, I know there's they're very precise measurements and they've figured it mm. out, but it's I don't know. But we were following up a large pa- uh, party of indigenous men who were actually doing a ceremony, and it was one of the ones some of them asked to be private, but this was one of the ones where they were open as long as you didn't take pictures. And it is such a moving thing to be, you know, in a place or doing a thing where you you feel in such continuum with the history. Mm-hmm. You're sort of like, wow, you know, I went to Europe in high school. And thought the history, the level of history everywhere was intense there, right? And talk about intensity of the history. Yeah. And it's wonderful that they managed to, like, save it from the the destruction. In the nick of of time. Yeah. 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 So it's, like, large, like, cairns of rocks that in the shape of. Yeah, with spokes going out to an outer wheel. Mm -hmm. And the cairns were, and and a lot of offerings. You walk around, you see, and they the rangers, a lot of ranger presence. They're not um, messing around with protecting it. The cairns were at one time like three feet high. Now I would say they're, yeah, yeah, something like that. And I, and they're probably now a foot maybe because people would take souvenirs and, or just chuck the rocks down the mountain. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you saw all kinds of of offerings, horns, you know, tobacco, all kinds of things. So So that was the thing, like a historical thing also. I was really glad that we did. And right. we saw we saw a lot of butterflies and stuff on that walk too. Mm-hmm. What was that little uh, rodent that we saw? You know, we were trying to trying to settle Pika, that Pikachu. Uh, we saw Pika, Pika, and also a marmot. Yeah, the marmots are the chunkier ones. Yeah, they're kind of like groundhogs. Yeah, we saw a lot. So we saw the buffalo marmot, Pika, moose. Yeah, was Becky's great ambition, and then we we like <laughs> we're turning onto the road from the place we're staying, and and like right across as if. There for her convenience. It was a moose. I was like, where are these people pulled over for? Um, yeah, moose. slam on the brakes. <laughs> Mule deer. Um, we saw a, like a like a little herd of like running antelope or something. Antelope, like that yeah. We saw um, ground squirrels. A mountain goat. We did see a mountain goat. Sort of saw a bighorn sheep. They I don't really way- count it. We saw them through the binoculars. It's like, you know, very nice southern man was like, you look up there and then there's a green patch. And then you go over a little bit and you see that brown thing next to that brown thing. See the brown thing moving? Yeah, that's a big orange sheep. And I was like, okay, <laughs> fine. Not really. So, yeah. anyway, it was a good experience. Yeah. Yeah, real whirlwind. It was like, write that down for us to come back to you sometime. Right, right. Um. A lot of right. places we'd like to go again. Right. We did a lot of journaling. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. I should finish that. Yeah, um, try to keep a log of every day of like what we did and what our thoughts were about it and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it was remarkably full. It was such a full time. You know, and you look back, especially you look back over the record you've made and you're like, wow. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. But the good news is if you can't get out to Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Idaho, whatever, um, there's a great literature here for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get there in a book. I feel like LeVar Burton. Um, you know, you don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, The Solace of Open Spaces, mm-hmm. Deep Creek, uh, William Kittredge, Wallace Stegner, Ivan Doig, Annie Prue. Annie Prue, a million others that I'm forgetting. Well, and so I put the Eagles of Heart Mountain on my reading list. I took, like, some pictures of, of, of books, too. I think the books that I bought were, like... Unrelated. Un- totally unrelated. I was like, oh, a book of essays about the Babysitter's Club. Jane Austen <laughs> famously uh, came to Wyoming. Um, um, It's not Jane Austen. It's a book about reading Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre famously came to Wyoming. Um <laughs> 
Um, but the museum in the Sweetwater County Museum also had like a really nice selection of books, books, yeah. and Austin bought like four of them. We got we got a couple of Wallace Stegner's, including his book on John Wesley Powell and mm-hmm. the and the expeditions, um, which is I guess considered one of the best ones. I don't know. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, I also got a um, National Parks passport and have uh, become one of those people who's obsessed with getting stamps for it. Mm-hmm. And I was um, like, how come? The Mount St. Helens Volcanic Monument is, uh, oh. is not in this book. Open question. <laughs> we got it. We're gonna look into that. I'm gonna call. Um, I'm gonna call the visitor center. But we're gonna put a big list, right? When we post this podcast, we'll put a, put a nice book list up there mm-hmm. for y'all. It'll be great. It will be great. So catch us next time. We're gonna try to try to. Try we'll to be coming that. to you more often. Yeah, that's the hope and dream. Um, we're going to try really hard. Thanks for listening to everybody. Yeah. This has been your shelf. Or mine. I'm Becky. I'm Austin. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Support for Your Shelf or Mine comes from the friends of the Longview Public Library, the Longview Library Foundation, and listeners like you. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McKeldery from A Song for You. Find Megan online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery. So um, I think uh, Becky's going to take us out now by singing a traditional uh, cowboy song. Oh, <laughs> give me I'm a just, home. okay, okay, okay. Where uh, the buffalo uh, right. are.